From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Uh, and as I said during the break, we're talking today about the issue of people who are being wrong, wrongfully co- convicted in our criminal justice system uh, and some of the horrific effects that it is uh, taking on on the population of South Africa. By the way, if you want to be part of the show, you can SMS us 34519 uh, 061-895-1019. That's the WhatsApp line. And if you want any questions on, on the story, uh, Carolyn Raffaele, she is a senior journalist at the Wits uh, Justice Project, and Temba Kile Marutze, who is an exoneree, are in the studio today, and they're going to be talking to us about their story. Guys, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Benji. Thanks. Morning, Benji. Morning to your listeners. Yeah, thank you uh, for coming out uh, and uh, early on a Monday morning to chat to us. Uh, Timikide, perhaps let's start with you because you you are the person who who had this experience. Can you give us a bit of a background? Uh, you, you you were arrested, uh, yeah. and and can you give us a bit of background? What you did and, and what were the circumstances of of, of this arrest? What um, I won't say it, uh, taxi driving was my career. Uh, in 2004, I was transporting people, and then that was the usual way of me getting money. So, and then it happened in 2003, 2003 February 18. I was arrested by the police in of Harangu, and then when I asked them why they were arresting me, they told me that I've been accused of murdering a policeman. So they took me to the police station, and then I met other co-accused that were unknown to me. And that's how this this entire journey started. The dilemma started from there. Sure. Now, uh, Karen, you you weren't really in, involved uh, in in this stage at this stage in the in the whole thing, but uh, you guys at the Vis Justice Project often deal with uh, w- with these sorts of issues. Uh, from what I understand, that already at this stage, some of the evidence uh, against Timbukile was was fairly suspect. Um, there wasn't any evidence. <laughs> right. So um, I, I, I only got involved in 2013 or 20, yeah, 2013, yes. 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, at that stage, his, his warder called me out of the blue one day, and I'd never been called by a warder. And he said to me that he'd been working for correctional services for 18 years. And during that time, of the many people who said I didn't do it, and most of the um, inmates claimed that they were innocent, in inverted commas, um, he hadn't believed anyone, and Tembekile was the first person who he had believed. And so he asked me to assist him. And But he also told me, which was more important to me at the time, that Tembekile had been trying for eight years to obtain his trial transcripts without which he couldn't um, appeal his case. Um, and that's a constitutional right, and every indigent person in this country is entitled to their trial transcripts at no, at no cost. So, so I'm, I want to get into the, the trial transcript because that was just one of many of the flagrant violations of, 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 of Tim Akile's rights in, in this particular matter. But, yes. but Tim Akile, just explain to us the process, right? So, so they arrested you? Uh, and then and then they put you in a lineup, right? Okay, let me take you from from 
step back. Yes. Mm-hmm. So after the arrest, uh, the following day, I was charged for murder, a position of unlicensed firearm, position of uh, firearm and robbery. It was four counts. So there was nothing found in my position. And then I went to the magistrate court. I tried to explain that uh, I was... Uh, Arrested with other people that are unknown to me. Others, I did know them, but they were not my friends. So the magistrate says that was not the court for the trial. I will explain everything in the trial court. So in the trial court, uh, there was nothing that was brought to before the presiding officer. So we were also taken to the ID parade. No one has pointed me. They only pointed to co-accused and then... uh, there was nothing that was brought before the court. So the proceedings went on and on. I was granted bail all the time. I attended the proceedings while I was outside. And there was nothing that linked me to, to, to the, to the crime. There was no witness that testify, testified against me. And then there was no, no one who had come to can attest everything that I have done, uh, uh, regarding the crime so it happened in 2004 around around May the investigating officer manipulated one of the accused to testify against me and then everything got fabricated in the court and then the presiding officer was misled and then she ended up convicting all of us we were all seven so, I mean, just so listeners know, I mean, Timbekile is not a small person, right? Yeah. Uh, he's a tall man. He's uh, got a large frame. And yet, despite that having been put in a, a lineup, no one yes. identified you. There yes. was, and, 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 but they did identify to other people. But, but you were never even identified, con- yes. identified at all. Yes. Yes. And there were actually two uh, identity parades. So yes. Um, and it was the daughter of the policeman who was murdered, who was present at the murder scene, who, who was doing the pointing out. So during these two pointing outs, he was not identified. And as you say, he's a giant of a man. <laughs> yes. So, so, I mean, why do you think, first of all, why do you think that, that this police person uh, fabricated this evidence how did they you know, how did they come to find you in the first place and why do you think that the presiding officer you know was misled into 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 this conviction i, I cannot i cannot tell how, how come how did the police come and arrest me because of it it's something that happened out of the blue i was also shocked mm-hmm. and the case has a reward to i don't know who got that reward and then the presiding officer was misled by the police and the prosecutor. So the, every, everything that they told the court, also the court did not believe, but it still convict. Sure. Yes. So give us a bit of a sense then, because once you were convicted, yes. they, what, is it, what is it like and, and, and where do you, what happens to, a, I guess, a murder convictee in, in, in a South African system? Yes, once once the presiding officer says we were guilty, so everything just got shattered because of I have to move from planet Earth to another planet and go to drown with prisoners. And so it was very terrible. So I could not understand what was happening around me. And then 
I had I was forced to to read the books of the law, the constitution of our country, the criminal procedure act and everything. I wanted to know how come could the presiding officer found me guilty for something I didn't do. So after I was convicted July 2004 and then I was taken to Odi prison. Odi prison, they took us to CMAX, they call it Kosimampuru now. And then where they, they took us all, all, all our clothes off and then they shocked us with electric shocks and then they tortured us and then we were taken to the solitary confinement. It was very terrible. And then in that process of ad- admission in CMEX, it was it was disturbing. So I, I didn't have cell phone. I didn't have laptop. I didn't have nothing. I didn't have resources. I only ha- have uh, papers and pen. I wrote to the office of the president. By that time, it was uh, uh, President Becky requesting for intervention because of I was there for the crime I didn't commit. So I got a reply that uh, the office of the president was was not cannot intervene with the judiciary. They say the judiciary was independent. So if I was not uh, satisfied with my conviction and sentence, I must appeal and then I can use my private attorney or legal aid so i requested legal aid to assist me and then legal aid replied they say they were in financial constraint so i had to, to raise money to get the court records so from 2000 and around 2006 my family and other co-accused contributed money so that we can purchase those those records but it was terrible because of i've been writing different letters from to to government institution like uh, human rights like uh, department of justice uh, see mr penel maduna uh, jeffra debe and bridget mabanda all of them have been writing letters and they were corresponding with me corresponding with me so in 2000 and around 2008 i was struggling to to have the copy of the record so that i can appeal i could not appeal because of i didn't have anything that can show what has happened during the trial okay we're just going to stop there just for the moment because we do need to take a break when we come back we'll be carrying on with the story the best part of your day at the heart of your community all the talk all the music all the news FM. 101.9 Hi, I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. We're talking to Carolyn Raffaele today uh, and Temba Kile Maluzzi about uh, his wrongful uh, conviction and what it was like to be swallowed into the South African uh, prison system. Now, uh, Carolyn, I want to talk to you in a second about, because uh, we're talking about this issue of the transcript that came up, but, you know, you kind of glossed over it, Temba Kile, the, the idea that when people get Put into prison in South Africa. CMAX is very famous yes. uh, in South Africa for being like the high uh, security prison. But you're you're talking about being tortured. You're talking about solitary confinement. Is that still something that happens in a South African prison? You know, wh- why were the warders doing things like that? I cannot understand because of I was just convicted and then I didn't do anything wrong the inside prison because of CMAX. And Cockstars were made for the 
those notorious prisoners that were trying to escape the gangsters. So I was just convicted and taken to CMEX. So I could not understand why I was tortured. You see. And and solitary confinement. How long were you put into solitary confinement? It was from two thousand and four until two thousand and eight, because I was also transferred to Kokstad Mbongweni. And and what does that mean? That uh, you just don't get to see anyone for for twenty four hours a day? Do they let you do exercise? What is an exercise is only one hour. Okay. Yes, and then that hour you, they keep you in in a cage. That's where you take an an exercise, and from there they put you back to the cell. And you never get to see any other people, any other prisoners, the nothing? Vis- do you see them when they pass? And that is all. Or you, you meet when we go to exercise. Otherwise, you are locked. Now, Carolyn, at, at this point, uh, we're talking now about the transcript, uh, the issue of Tembekile trying to get it. Uh, and this was something already that a problem that you understood. I mean, is, is this common for you to, you say you very unusual for you to get waters, but does the Wits Justice Project work with people who... Uh, have been wrongfully convicted? Um, yes, actually, that's our current focus. We, uh, When the project started, we were inspired by the innocence movement in America, which um, was established to try and get people off death row using DNA evidence, um, and also by... And today there's 69 innocence projects in America which do just that, although... Most of them have a broader remit today, um, and they just look at wrongful convictions. Some of them look at only DNA, uh, trying to use DNA evidence. Um, and we were also inspired by a project at Northwestern University in Chicago, called, which is a journalism justice project and not a legal project. So all of both of those projects look at wrongful convictions only. So what what decided you to then take on Tembekile's case? Uh, you know, uh, you get called from a water at uh, some random part of the day. Why did you decide that this was something that you guys would get involved with? So we get a, a lot of the project gets receives a lot of um, calls from family members, from inmates, um, and a, very occasionally from prison officials. But this was the first time a warder had ever called me and said, I believe this man is innocent. So that was really a big red flag for me. Um, And also then when I didn't um, decide to take on the case because he said that Tambaquila, he believed Tambaquila was innocent, I actually decided to investigate it because of the transcript issue because that's a, a, a human rights problem. And so <clears throat> I went, also journalists aren't allowed in prisons, and the, this warder offered to organize a visit for me. So that was an added bonus because it's very problematic in our work, um, access. Um, and so I went there, to, and I met Tambakila, and although I had a gut instinct that I believed he was innocent or not guilty, um, exculpatory evidence, you, to find that you can't rely on your gut. So anyway, I had to, I, dis, I agreed to take on the case in terms of first looking for the transcripts, which were the most important, you know, thing for him at the time. He couldn't move anyway without the transcripts. So Tempekile, but by this point, uh, you had uh, I mean, no basis background in law. You were basically yes. reading up all the stuff yourself. Yes. Uh, and you had raised the money for 
for the transcripts. Yes. But they were incomplete. They, 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 they didn't actually help you. So in, let me proceed. So in 2008, in fact, when I inquired regarding the transcript uh, by the, the, to, from the transcribers, I was told that they were busy correcting them. So in fact, they were taken from transcribers to the registrar's office, back from the registrar's office to the transcribers. They were taken just like this. So I also engaged again the Minister of Justice and then they engaged with them. They were telling them that the, the delay was unacceptable. Then around late in 2008, I got a copy of the record. So when I perused, I found that uh, essential part was omitted. I had to complain again and told them that this record was not authentic because of there is nowhere where I am talking and then I cannot I, I cannot prove to the appeal court that I, I am innocent. So in 2000 and 2009, I was 10, 11, until I read a, an article in the Sunday Times about those two guys that spent 19 years in prison, uh, how they were helped by the Vest Justice Project, and then I started to know about what is Vest Justice, Pro Vest Justice Project. I told the warder, and then the warder contacted the Vest Justice Project, and then the warder found Sister Caroline. And then when Sister Caroline came to consult with me, she just found me with a lot of correspondences from different departments and voluminous uh, uh, trial transcript that was not authentic. So I had to give her and check and check and check and then she also engaged the human rights lawyers and then she helped me in around 2012 the record until it was retranscribed and then in 2012 late we went to court requesting for appeal it was granted and then go so, to so I, I just want to I want to stop you there before we get to the appeal right all right so so in, in this, Caroline, you're saying to get a transcript is a basic human right, a uh, transcript of your trial. So how long by that point had it then taken you? Because not only had you had to raise money to get it retranscribed, but then you say the court actually had to order uh, the retranscription. So how long had that process taken? Since I purchased. So, since, you, since you started trying it to got, get the transcript. Almost eight years. So, so, so basically, it took you eight years in prison in yes. these horrific conditions yes. just to get to basically the starting yes. point yes. before you could make an appeal. Yes. Sure. That's uh, it's terrible. It, it, it must. How, how how did you keep on going this whole time just to even get the transcript? I was praying and then I was nagging the departments. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was irritating them. <laughs> Okay, so so you you had the transcript at this time, Carolyn. You you were involved as well with 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 having help. Now and and now you you've done the appeal. So so appeal means that you can go to the the Supreme Court of Appeals yes. to 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 look at uh to to look at the evidence. What what was the outcome of that? So the, I requested to appeal. The appeal was granted, and then I went to the full bench. The full bench dismissed dismissed my appeal. They say. Uh, even though they said the, wit the, the witness was a reckless liar, but still they dismissed. And then I went to the Supreme Court of Appeal. They also dismissed. And then I went to the Constitutional Court alone. And then they also dismissed. I, th I think it's important to point out that Tembekila 
after he had lodged his um, appeal in the Supreme Court with the help of legal aid lawyers. After that, they said they couldn't assist him any further. Mm. And he then engaged uh, a fellow inmate, I think he was a former prosecutor, to draft an appeal to the Concord. Yes. Um, and then that was dismissed as well on the basis that it wasn't based on any constitutional principle and mm. that it had no reasonable prospects of success. So in other words, you had now done it, the, the, the whole gamut of, of our legal system. You've gone to the exist, high court. Existed all avenues. And, and how long did that take? Because in my experience, these appeals can take a, a, a while. Yes, by that time it was 20, 2013, 20, yes, 2013. Yes. So it was another two or three years down the line before, before, yes, before the Concord. Yes. So, so basically, I mean, by that point, you must have felt like you were out of options. Like there, 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 there didn't seem to be any other avenues, right? Yes, there was no avenues, but I, I was optimistic that one day I will get out. Though the avenues were exhausted, by now my only option was to write a, a a full petition letter to the judge president to tell him because tell him that my my matter was not taken to consideration because of this of this that and that actually um the reality is that after the constitutional court has dismissed your appeal you're done and the only the only further avenue is a presidential pardon, the application for a presidential pardon. Mm. And as far as we know, there haven't been any presidential pardons granted in democratic South Africa. Mm. So, so, so that, that w was, was kind of it. You, 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 you had to, uh, uh, that must have been devastating. I can't imagine what it must have felt like to, to know that you were sort of out of options. Yes, it was devastating, uh, but I was optimistic. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I I kept my faith alive. What was remarkable then was that the story t took a, a, a new turn because it was uh, you had sort of inspired the other people in the prison to start start their own processes. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what was that interaction like. I was helping them regarding their complaints in court proceedings. And then this was your co-accused, the, the ones that were other other people that were convicted. Besides my co-accused, the other inmates, I was helping them. Okay. And then my other co my co-accused, I also helped them. So the the two co-accused that filed the appeal in the constitutional court was first released before me. Okay. The two yes. that filed the appeal after him. Yes. Because they um, Boswell, Mushlonga, and Disco and Corsi, they. Their appeal was also framed by a prison lawyer, um, and actually it was framed it was framed on a constitutional principle okay. it was based on a constitutional principle and then what well, was a story of great serendipity or the finger of God or something absolutely mm. extraordinary or a miracle because their their appeal was successful, and during the course of that appeal, the state um, prosecutor, a man called Nigel Carpenter, suddenly announced to the court that there's no evidence to convict Boswell and Disco and that accused number five, whose name they never gave, should uh, receive the same legal fate um, as the other two. Um, and the court then agreed to appoint a pro bono, the same pro bono lawyer, attorney, advocate that was acting for them, 
to represent Tembekila, which was... Who was accused number five. Oh, accused number five, mm-hmm. and they hadn't given a name. And a couple of days thereafter, it was discovered that accused number five was Tembekila, and that triggered... Um, a, a legal principle called res judicata, which means in in layman's terms, you can't have two bites of the same cherry. It, it's so sort of like if you always watch it in the American movies, they, they call it double jeopardy. It's like a similar kind of concept from what I understand. Sort of. but you, So you're done. The, when you've, when your, your case has been dismissed by the con court, you're done. Right. And you can, so you cannot appeal on the same evidence, the same case twice. But um, on, I think when the court looked at Boswell and Disco's case and they realized there was no evidence, they overturned Boswell and Disco's wrongful conviction and sentence and released them immediately. Um, they were in prison a little bit longer than uh, 13 years, I think, than Tembekila because they, had spent, they hadn't got bail initially mm-hmm. all those years earlier and uh, so they had two years longer. But anyway, the court overturned their decision, and then they were, the court was faced with... with um, a, a very special circumstance. A be- very special because, circumstance. Because Tim Achille's case had sort of been dug up in the process of them uh, dealing with the other, the other cases. Yeah, and so he languished in prison while for another three months while the court had to decide... If it you, was going to admit they, that it they, got it wrong. If they actually had the jurisdiction mm. to hear this case again because right. of raise, of this legal principle of res judicata. And so it was kind of touch and go. And um, then eventually after three months, the court decided that in the interests of justice that they had to overturn his conviction and sentence mm. and release him. And I have to say that about three weeks before his release, I was climbing the walls and I'd waited a long time to write the story on, at his request, which didn't suit me, but anyway, and um, I went to visit him in prison about three weeks before his release and he told me, just calm down, be patient. (laughs) He was telling... (laughs) Me to be patient after he had been behind bars for eleven years. Well, I mean, that's what literally was going to be my next question. You know, how do you deal with the frustration? Uh, you know, of of first of all, like the slowness of the process, and then of the of you know of the kind of explosive points. You sort of there's a long waiting period, and then all of a sudden you're back to square one or, or having to redo. It must it must take a uh, uh, quite a personality. <laughs> yes, it's true. I have made peace that the wheels of justice is grinding very slowly. And when you are behind bars, that your time is not working like the outside time. So you have to go at the snail pace. Mm-hmm. So ev- whether they will respond, they will respond at their time. But as long as you will get a response that is positive. Because of me, I've been disappointed many times. I got very uh, evasive response from departments and from people that were supposed to help me. And others were reluctant to assist me. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be back uh, talking to Tim McKinnon and Karen. Uh-huh. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. 
101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. We're talking today to Carolyn Raffaele from the Vitz Justice Project and Timbakile Murauzi, who is an exoneree. Uh, and uh, we're hearing the story about how he managed after 11 years uh, to get out of jail. If you want to be part of the conversation, please SMS us 34519, or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. Timbakile, in this entire time that you were fighting with the criminal justice system yeah. to help get you out, uh, you know what? What happened to your family uh, while while this was was going on? My family was distracted, and then my son was raised without the father figure. How often were they allowed to visit you? Uh, how does that kind of process work? In CMEX, so there was I was not allowed to get visit. It was only once a month. And 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 is that like? Are you allowed to? Uh, Touch one another? Is it through a telephone? How does that work? No, the, my son, when they bring him to the visit, he touched me through the glass and then that tortured me too much. And then I had to write to the social worker requesting for the contact visit. Was that eventually granted? Yes, it was granted because of it was, it was very disturbing to see a toddler want to touch to touch you. Mm. And then you are at that side, and then you, your other hand is locked to the to the stone chair, and then it was it was very inhuman and barbaric. Mm-hmm. So, so you had now uh, eventually the concord sort of got its act together. They decided, in the interest of justice, to let yes. you out. Yes. Uh, so, what was that like to to finally be be free? Uh, it was just God's divine intervention, and then to be a free man it was. Oh, this was hmm. <laughs> that was a very huge present for me, just to be free, mm-hmm. just to be free. I th- I've for many people, <coughs> for many wrongfully convicted people, I think when one trauma ends, another one <coughs> begins when they walk out the prison gates because there's no support for somebody who's been exonerated. There's more support for somebody who has committed a crime and is released on parole. And so you walk out of the prison gates to nothing, to a changed world, and you have to readjust. And also there's no compensation from the no financial compensation mm-hmm. from the state for all those lost years. Yeah, I was going to ask, what was it like to just even sleep in, in your own bed? Uh, I know from when I've read Prison of War books, for example, that mm-hmm. People find it uncomfortable to sleep in their rooms and, and, and that sort of thing. Is that something that you encountered? No, it's, it's you know, for you <laughs> when you come from inside, you, you and then you are outside now, it, it, it's, you go in phases because you, you will not adjust at the same time because of some mornings when I wake up or think, I will be thinking, hey, I must be counted. Not... <laughs> <laughs> forgetting that I was home. So I have to adjust and then go with the faces, but with a, with a, slow, with a slow pace. And, and Carolyn, so there's absolutely no compensation for, for effectively what was a state-based uh, problem. I mean, it was their issue that they messed up. The, o- the only way in which you can seek compensation is through a civil claim for damages. Okay. And that's it. There's no um, basis for it. Yeah. And well, is that is that something that you've been considering, Tim McGill? 
I'm still on the pipeline. Yes. Okay. And and once um, once you got out, I mean, you were a taxi driver be, before then. Yes. Is is that something that you then took up again? No, 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 no. <laughs> I did. I did not. I did not. Uh, there's a friend of mine who used to come and visit me. He's in a perfume company. And then he just grabbed me, and then I didn't. Had to get my CV and look for work. I was very fortunate. So you were at least able to be employed immediately again after being released. Yes. So at least you can feed your family. Yes. Um, I, <clears throat> I want to move away just from the story for a second, uh, and uh, and and ask maybe Carolyn. The whole way along the process, there's, there seems to be all these sorts of gaps in the criminal justice system. And we speak about them all the time. Uh, but it's almost as though this case encapsulates all the weaknesses that we're seeing. Everything da- from the, the the police not doing their jobs properly in terms of investigations uh, to the, you know, the, the problems with e- evidence to uh, issues around not having proper legal aid for people. What is your experience uh, that this tells us this particular case about the wider systemic issues in 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 the criminal justice system in general? Um, I think it, it, I think it does encapsulate many of of these issues in America. There's something called the National Registry of Exonerations, which um, tabulates all wrongful convictions since 1989. And and analyzing that data. They've come up with five major causes of wrongful convictions, which are um, false confessions or coerced confessions, which... Um, was clearly a case, part of the case here. Um, no, Tembekile didn't make a false oh, confession. From the other, the other but, person. But um, <coughs> some, No, sometimes accused people who are tortured, that's mm. a, a major cause, a cause of coerced confessions. Okay. And it was in... It happened to one of his co- other co-accused. So, but so I'm looking at the broader case. Okay. So um, the, the false confessions, um, false accusations or perjury. So he was subjected to false accusations, um, false or misleading forensic evidence. In his case, there was no forensic evidence implicating him. Um, and then there's official misconduct, which includes um, poor lawyering, um, prosecutorial misconduct um, and various other things. And there was, I'm sure, I, I suspect in his case, there was some official misconduct. There was also a bungled police investigation to start with, shoddy detective work, um, and then eyewitness misidentification, which didn't um, happen to him, but did happen with his co-accused. Mm. We have an SMS in here from uh, Yvonne Benetti. Uh, she says, yeah, Benji, I'm so emotional by this adjust- injustice uh, and salute Temba for his inner strength and endurance and pray that God will bless him with abundant quality time with his loved ones now. Uh, blessings to Caroline too. So, Thank you so much. A, a listener there uh, you know, reaching out uh, to, to the story uh, of Temba Kile, which I have to say, uh, when I first read it, I thought it was, uh, you know, it touched me, and then uh, I actually went to go listen to uh, the two of you guys speak at Limud in, uh, in August, and uh, the, the room was completely packed, and, and people were, uh, I, I think, justifiably outraged by your story and, and also your humility, Timakile, that uh, that uh, South Africans have a history in this country of coming out of uh, uh, jail not angry, uh, and I think that you, you really do 
uh, personify that. So uh, I, th- I think Tembukila is an extraordinary, extraordinary man, and he has the most extraordinary attitude of forgiveness. He has no bitterness at all, and personally, I've learned my greatest life lessons from him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll be talking again to Tim A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, talking today to Carolyn Raffaele, who is a senior journalist at the Vitz Justice Project, and Tembekila Muluzzi, who... Uh, is an exoneree. He is sort of like our very own Shawshank Redemption, uh, but he didn't escape. He he did it the legal way, so uh, <laughs> he, he knows how to do it properly. Tim McKinley, I, I wanted to ask about your time in jail. Did you make friends with anyone? Are you still in contact with any of the co-accused? Like, because I feel like the the inmates supported you and you supported them. There was that kind of camaraderie, even though some of them must have been quite dangerous people. Yes, they were. They are dangerous people. And then me, I'm <clears throat> me. I'm just a jewel person, so I, I like to joke. And then I was preaching behind bars, and then I was helping behind bars. So the gangsters did not uh, victimize me. So instead of victimizing me, they were protecting me. So I have a lot of friends. Even now, I'm still helping those that I believe they are innocent there because I have a, a innocent foundation that I have. I have made uh, in March. I was with uh, Sister Caroline in Memphis on the mm, Innocence Network, and then they inspired me so much. So that's the reason I made my own foundation for the Innocent here in South Africa. So I'm still in, co- in contact with them, helping them. Because that is something which I think a lot of people, that's your, the stereotype of prison, is that once you go into prison, you get attacked, right? Was that never your experience from from the beginning? No, I, 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 I was only disturbed emotionally, but not scared of everyone because of I know I was there for the crime I didn't commit, and I did know that one day I will be out. I won't drown and die inside there. Mm. Uh, Carolyn, now this is something that uh, the Vitz Justice Project has been working on, getting other exonerees out. Talk to us a little bit about what you what you're trying to do. Um, in, in terms of, of getting or, or figuring out if there's other South Africans who are wrongfully convicted? Um, wrongful convictions in South Africa is a, a problem that's often denied and usually unacknowledged. And um, and there's obviously an enormous human cost to judicial error. Mm. And so <clears throat> we've decided... I mentioned the National Registry of Exonerations in America um, earlier on in this interview. And so we're trying to establish a South African registry of exonerations um, in order to prove that this this happens and that the judicial system is fallible. Um, We are just in the fundraising stage at the moment. The um, American registry has... I think at the moment about 2,900 cases of wrongful convictions um, registered. And so we, try, we are in a process of trying to <clears throat> collect data. And 
once we've done this, it will give us, I think, a very unique insight into the criminal justice system. Should it just just like publicly available information, like when the state exonerates someone, it's on record? No, because neither the Department of Justice nor the NPA keep records of wrongful convictions. So, (coughs) excuse me, there are no South African statistics which is why the problem is usually denied. How do you go about figuring out then who was wrongfully, oh, not wrongfully, who has been exonerated? It's a, it's a huge job. And the, at the stage we're at now, which is a very, very initial stage, we're sifting through records um, of supreme, successful Supreme Court appeals. And, and Tembekile, your, your Innocence Project that, that you're working on, what, what kind of stuff are you doing? Is this mainly focused on, on the people who are still inside? Yes, to help them get out, to le- give uh, legal assistance. Um, the other thing is that the WITS Justice Project is based in the journalism department at WITS. Mm-hmm. So we're essentially um, an investigative journalism project. We're not lawyers. I'm not a lawyer. I've learned everything I know about the law from Tembekile. Um, he's been a great teacher, I must admit. But um, so our job is we receive these hundreds of of letters and phone calls, and we ha- we don't have the resources to take them all on. But the few that we do select, we will take investigate those. Um, pro- those cases, as I did with Tembekila. <clears throat> but the problem is it's such a long, long road. Um, for instance, the Innocence Project, uh, one of the innocence, most successful Innocence Projects in the States, the Ohio Innocence Project, they take 79 years to obtain a successful exoneration. So mm-hmm. we're a very small team, but and we can't take them all on. But our job is really to investigate these cases, and then to write about and publish our findings. So, for example, if someone listening to this is a lawyer, uh, is that the kind of help that would, would assist you to not necessarily expedite the process, but at least sort of have the information needed to, to help you to, to, to do your work? Absolutely, because one of our biggest problems is that we're journalists, not lawyers. And in my experience, human rights lawyers don't find criminal work sexy and criminal lawyers don't find human rights work sexy. So we have to go out and find pro bono lawyers to assist us. And it's a problem. So if you're listening to this uh, and you are a lawyer, uh, perhaps this is uh, somewhere where you can make a, a, a contribution uh, to even one person. Uh, if people want more information either on the Vits Justice Project or Tim McKinley on, on your Innocence Project, where can they get more info? The, um, for starters, they can um, Google the Vits Justice Project dot COSA, Vits Justice Project dot COSA. It's got, <clears throat> it's got all the, a lot of information about wrongful convictions, about our work, which has also involved um, torture and prison conditions and, and all the articles that we've written. And Tim McKinnon? Mine is www.tif. .tif? Yes. Okay. .co.za? Yes. Okay. There we go. Uh, pretty much brings us to the end of the show for today, guys. By the way, if you want to watch a great movie, I just thought it was a great movie, uh, called The Hurricane, uh, which is about uh, an innocence project in America. I thought it was quite inspiring if you're 
uh, if you've already watched The Shawshank Redemption. Guys, thank you so much for coming into the show. Tim Akile, thank you so much for sharing uh, your very difficult story with us. Carolyn, thank you so much for uh, for helping out uh, in general, but uh, for, for coming on the show today. And uh, good luck with all your projects going forward. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Benji, for hosting us. There we go. We'll be back next week on the New Blue Review. Thanks to everyone who helped put the show together, Mandy, Craig, Vusi, and uh, the team. We'll see you next week.